let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC. In an effort to increase public safety, DC police launched a nightlife task force. But what does that even mean? Axios DC's Chelsea Ceruzzo recently reported that the task force might be here to stay. So she's here to tell us why there are police in our clubs and how business owners and partygoers feel about it. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. Chelsea, I know that you recently wrote a piece for Axios DC about the Nightlife Task Force that was launched last year. For folks who don't know what that is, fill us in. What do they do? Yeah, of course. So in June of last year, DC announced they were launching a task force to help curb violence in three nightlife hotspots. That included U Street, H Street, and the DuPont Circle area. And this task force isn't just police. It actually includes a lot of different agencies. For example, the Alcohol and Beverage Regulatory Agency, transportation um, officials, as well as officials that could move cars, things that are improperly parked. So it really is a pretty big collaboration with a lot of major agencies around the city. How exactly does it work? Like, are the cops and, like, folks in the task force, are they inside clubs and bars? Are they on the streets? Like, how does it work? Yeah, that's a great question. And that was part of why I decided to look into this, because I was very curious as well. There are around, I believe, 40 people on the task force. And the way it works is that not only are they kind of out on the street walking around, one of the examples that MPD gave me is that um, in certain areas on U Street, they were finding people were just kind of having like pop-up parties out on the street with music, and it was creating kind of traffic jams. So having people out on the street to ask people to leave is one thing that they were doing. But the other thing was, they said they were visiting, and this continues today, visiting restaurants and bars and other uh, nightlife venues to kind of make sure everything is okay. Are people being served the correct amount? Is anybody being overserved, perhaps, that which may potentially lead to a escalated or violent situation? So the goal of this is kind of identifying these issues before they become potentially violent uh, scenarios. So I remember back in July, reading that the task force was supposed to operate through Labor Day. Obviously, it sounds like they've kept it going. Uh, does that mean that it's it's working, that the results have been positive? That is what MPD told me, that they felt as though the results were quite good and they felt positive about it, which is why they decided to continue the task force. They extended it after Labor Day through Halloween, and now it actually was extended again and continues sort of indefinitely now. And, and in fact, MPD told me that they are thinking about piloting it in other parts of the city. I do have some numbers that they shared with me as well. Almost all the 
corridors that were identified, they saw over a 50% decrease in violent crime during those weekend nights that the squad was operating compared to kind of the same period last year. So during those weekend nights. That said, you know, in 8th Street, for example, overall crime did increase by 8% over that same time period. So there were a lot of successes, which MPD has touted. But of course, we did see some crime still increase. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in D.C. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So MPD feels like it's more or less like going well. What are other folks saying? Like, do bar owners and club owners like it? Does it make folks feel more safe, less safe? What are they saying? When I spoke with different bar owners, venue owners, and industry folks, a lot of the sense I got is they just don't really know what this task force is doing. A lot of them were surprised to learn that it's actually still ongoing. And some of them actually did have some frustrations. So, for example, a few different places told me, including Sandra Basanti for the Pie Shop DC, said that early on, having all of these agencies involved in the task force meant that inspectors were coming in during nighttime hours when they're extremely busy and they weren't expecting an inspection or expecting to have to answer to officials in that moment. And that doesn't mean they were trying to hide anything or or had something going on. It just added to this sort of stress that they were experiencing. Another venue owner of DC9 told me that since this task force has been put into place, there have been road closures in front of his venue. And oftentimes police will have their police lights on, which to him does not feel like a solution. And he actually feels as though people see that and think, oh, no, something's going on over there. Let me turn around and not come. And then the flip side of things, a lot of them did tell me they have seen some decrease in crime. Like I said, DC9 said that they had noticed a decrease in gunfire around the venue and a decrease in ATV activity. But a lot of it was just a sort of confusion or really just uncertainty about how much this task force is doing and how it's actually working for the business owners that it's supposed to work for. Yeah, something that really came through in your Axios piece, I guess, was that sense of frustration around the lack of communication from MPD. You know, is the task force still operating? What are they doing and for how long? It sounds like that basic communication was definitely a place of improvement for this program. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, a few owners told me that in the beginning there were safety walks, which was basically just walking around the block with MPD or community meetings. Since then, they say the communication has been pretty lacking. And I think it really comes back to that central point that this is supposed to be working not just for consumers, but also for businesses, which have just been so hit hard in the past few years, not just from crime, but also just the pandemic and trying to get customers back that, of course, crime is a concern for them. But they wonder, you know, if this is something that's for us, why aren't we more involved in it? Hmm. You know, you mentioned sort of the pop-up DIY kind of kickbacks, I guess I'll say, that <laughs> that you see around the city. Is there a sense that, like, this is kind of killing the vibe? Like, obviously, <laughs> bars and, and clubs have to meet certain regulations to operate within the city, but not every event or, or, you know, nightlife that you see is like sanctioned. And so I wonder how, how do you see it impacting kind of DIY party vibes in the city? And I'm actually, I have been thinking about this a lot today. I, I recently had a conversation with the new director of nightlife um, and culture in D.C. And of course, this is separate from the task force, but they are obviously very involved in the nightlife. One of the things that they've been trying to do is recognize that some events, like, for example, Mochella, Everyone knows about it. Police know about it. The city knows about it. But it's not an official event. But it's an event that brings a lot of people together through GoGo, through something that's really important to to many people. And unfortunately, last year, there was an incident of crime at Mochella. So what he was talking about was how do we make sure these events can continue, even if they're not official, in a safe way? That said, I think not everyone wants their event to be official, right? So I think there's certainly a balance here. I would definitely love to know more from organizers of these sort of events or, or just people who, you know, don't want to go into a bar and spend however much money for a beer or and maybe just want to hang out with some friends. How can they do so safely and without kind of rubbing into this tension? Yeah, and I think the word that you used, balance, is really the name of the game, because I do think that what makes D.C. special is kind of that DIY, not exactly on the books official sentiment. And I also don't want that to go away, but I want folks to feel safe. So finding that balance of how you can protect the essence of what makes D.C. nightlife and culture what it is, but also making sure that people can show up and have a good time safely is really key. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's sort of what I, I feel like I've been hearing. And again, I would love to speak more with people who aren't part of these sort of more unofficial events, because like I said, not everyone wants to work through official channels. And that's not because they're doing anything wrong. It's just, you know, comes down to individuality and, and what people need and the sort of vibe that they're looking for. So that's certainly been something on my mind in my reporting and something I'll be watching this year, especially with this task force continuing going into a new year. Some of the business owners that you spoke to for the piece, I wonder, like, do they talk about crime impacting their ability to get folks to come out late at night and to have folks be part of the nightlife that they're offering the city? Is, like, crime a deterrent to, to folks coming out? For some of them, yes. The owner of Sticky Fingers, a diner on H Street, she actually, when we spoke, had recently been a victim of a carjacking herself and was fearful that it was maybe because she is seen making deliveries a lot. And one of the things that she did tell me was when they reopened, they had been closed for a large part of the pandemic. They just haven't been able to recoup the same clientele that they had prior to the pandemic. And for her, she felt as though that had to do with people not wanting to come out at night to H Street. Of course, these things don't exist in a vacuum. There's a lot of reasons why people may be choosing not to go out as often and or return to different places. But for them, they felt as though the crime did play a role in that. Yeah. And it's interesting how you talk about 
you know, this not occurring in a vacuum, I've got to assume that crime and then just sort of the weirdness of the pandemic where a lot of us were staying inside and then coming back out, I do feel like the temperament on the streets feels a bit different as we're all sort of navigating what it means to be back outside. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel that even in my own personal life, too. I mean, I went into the pandemic, 23 came out 26, or I'm not even, we're not even out of it yet, but I'm in a different part of my life. So I know that my interests have changed. So that could certainly be playing a role, but it, it's hard to tell. Yeah, I feel similarly. I aged two years in the pandemic and it was a, boy, was it a long two years. Like I went into the pandemic, like young, really looking to party, came out of the pandemic, just trying to garden and have some tea. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, nightlife. I remember that back in my day. <laughs> What do you see as the future of the task force? When I was speaking with MPD, I spoke with Officer Morgan Kane, who has been a big part of the task force. They, like I said, are very pleased with the results that they're seeing and, in fact, are considering piloting it in other parts of the city that are similarly nightlife hubs and maybe just don't have the same level of oversight. So I honestly think we might see more of it. I will certainly be keeping an eye on the outcomes and also what the community engagement is like. If, you know, as I was hearing in my reporting, is that the community engagement wasn't there as much. So I'm curious if this task force continues, if that is a consideration. Well, Chelsea Ceruzzo from Axios DC, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And before you go, here's some quick news. Councilmember Brooke Pinto introduced a D.C. council bill that would offer residents a rebate on e-bikes. Residents who earn significantly more than the median family income would get up to $400 to buy an e-bike, while anyone earning below would get up to $1,200. The only catch is the e-bike must be purchased at a store in D.C. Meanwhile, nearly 100 people showed up to a vigil on Monday for a local trans woman named Jasmine Star Parker, who was killed in Northeast. The visual was set up like an open mic, and a lot of people, both activists and city officials, said that the government should be doing more to protect D.C.'s trans community. Parker was 36 years old. Police are still looking for leads on her murder. And lastly, Wes Moore is being sworn in today as the first Black governor of Maryland, and he's doing it with a Bible that belonged to Frederick Douglass. Moore's wife, Dawn, will hold it in a specially designed protective container. Only the new governor's hand will actually touch it. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed the show, share it with somebody who loves to party. And don't forget to subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.